Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Man, thank you so much, you guys. I so appreciate your sensitivity. It's always astounding, especially from a person who can't sing or play an instrument. I can play the radio. That's all I can play. Let's get our Bibles. Go to John chapter 9. Turn your device on. This is one of my favorite stories. I love this story because I love the blind guy. It's about a, a blind man being healed. I love his transparency, his authenticity, his grit, his humor. Um, he's just, he's my kind of guy. And the beautiful part of this is that it's not just about restoring a person's sight. In fact, there are two themes running concurrently through this piece. One theme involved a man who couldn't see, and the other involved a group of men who wouldn't see. And in the process of the man receiving his sight, he also receives the light. And that's really the story here. So it starts in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So this guy's been blind his entire life. And living in the first century, that must have been a, a pretty marginal life. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? I, I laugh at that because I love the way Jesus never looked at his guys and said, you know, you're really dumb sometimes. Because they said, this guy is born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? How could he have sinned and caused his own blindness? He was born blind. He didn't have an opportunity to sin. But then there's that other side of it. Well, if it wasn't him, then maybe it was his parents. And, you know, maybe there's, there's something that goes back. This idea must have been prevalent among the Jews that it's sort of a, I think maybe a, uh, a, a fundamental concept that we seem to, seem to carry that if, if you have something bad happen in your life, then you must have done something bad to cause it. And so there's this really uh, juvenile concept of causality. And if something good happens, then you must be responsible for that too. And so since this guy's had something bad happen, somebody had to have caused it. So was it him? Was it his parents? It must have been his parents because he didn't have opportunity to. And, and, and inherent in that is this idea that we are somehow born with the guilt of our parents. Uh, maybe that was in the Jewish teaching at the time. That idea didn't really find its way into the church till about 400 years after Jesus was ascended into heaven. In 426, a theologian named Augustine wrote a book called The City of God. And in that book, he initiates the church into the concept of the doctrine of original sin. It's not the idea that you are born with the nature to sin like Adam and like your parents, which is true. But it's the idea that you are born with the guilt of your parents. And that's fundamentally different. Because think about what that does to a child or the innocence of a child. Uh, a child is born with the guilt of Adam. What if your baby dies? Then is your baby going to go to heaven? Is your baby going to go to hell? Well, if he's born with guilt without the opportunity to receive Christ by faith, by grace through faith, then there's no other option, is there? Well, some would say today, well, we don't know if he's a part of the elect or not. And I would argue, well, if he's part of the elect then wouldn't it have seemed obvious that God would have allowed him to live long enough in order to choose Christ as his Savior? 
But the fact that he died would indicate he wasn't part of the elect. So what do you do with a baby who's born with inherent sin, with original sin, with the guilt of his parents? Well, the church decided, and this is hundreds of years after the New Testament, we must need to baptize them. And so they began to baptize babies. And then think what that does to baptism. Baptism is no longer a symbol of salvation, but it's a means of salvation. And you know, the, the, the gospel is very clear in the, in the New Testament. For by grace you're saved, that grace is the unmerited work of Christ on the cross. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it. By grace you're saved through faith when I place my faith in Jesus Christ. It is the gift of God, not the result of works. No work, no, no work at all, even the work of baptism. And so it turns the whole world upside down. But, you know, in reality, that was something that must have been percolating through the mind of the Jews. It must be something intuitive in us because it's really an immature understanding of causality. Something bad's happened. Somebody must be responsible. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, verse 3, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the work of God, the works of God, might be displayed in him. Think about that. The thing he hated most about his life was the thing that God wanted to use to display his works. And in verse 5, he gets to the point. Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And that's really the point of this whole story. This story is not just about sight. It's about light. Okay? A man received sight so that he could see the light. And the other group had sight, but they couldn't see the light, which, by the way, is really telling about the world that we live in today. We live in a world that is ablaze with the light of the gospel. In America in particular, you've got to kind of almost be intentional about not being exposed to the gospel to get through this, this world without hearing or being exposed to the light in some way. And yet we live in a world like that with so many people who still walk in darkness. And you're like, why is that? It's the world you live in where you work, where you go to school. It's the world we, we read on the news. Why is that with so much light available? Because some people just can't see the light. They've got sight, but they have no light. Verse 6, when he said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to the guy's eye. And I look at that, and I read that, and I go, why all the theatrics here? Because, you know, there are several occasions where Jesus healed people of blindness. Most of the time, he didn't do anything. He just said, okay, your faith has made you well. Go and live a full and happy life, you know, that kind of thing. One time, he spit in a guy's eye, but in this case, he made some mud. It's like, I don't get it. What's the deal? Well, it's the Sabbath. And I I had to read about this because the Jews had all these ridiculous laws related to what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath and what constituted work and what didn't constitute work. And and it turns out that spitting on dirt was a part of what might constitute work. They were a little ambiguous about it. But if you spit on a rock, that was fine. If you spit in the dirt, that was another matter because you could then take that mud and turn it into clay and you might make a pot or a vessel or something like that out of it. So no spitting in the mud. And so what does Jesus do? He spits in the dirt, makes some clay, rubs it in the guy's eyes, and in the process intentionally violates the Sabbath in order to force this other group of people we haven't been introduced to yet to be confronted by the blazing light of Christ. In fact, look down at verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath 
on the day when Jesus made the clay. Notice it was a Sabbath when he made the clay, not just that he healed him and opened the eyes. So he did two things there that would make them mad. And he's deliberately, intentionally creating this conflict within them. Verse 7, and said to him, this is the guy who's put the mud on his eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent, which is interesting. He sent him to the place called sent. Um, and so he went away and washed and came back seeing. And of course, this is a nod to an episode in the Old Testament where a guy has leprosy and they make him go wash seven times in the Jordan and all of that stuff. But it's such a stunning miracle. And it's so, uh, so extraordinary and unheard of that when the guy comes back, nobody recognizes him. Now, we don't know what the blind guy's name is, so let's call him Fred. Okay, And so Fred goes off, he washes in the pool, he comes out, he can see, he's never seen in his whole life. And so he comes back to his little village, wherever that is, and nobody recognizes him. And they're like, uh, he looks like Fred, but that's not Fred because Fred's blind. He's like, hey guys, it's me. And they're like, no, that's not you. Because see, the real Fred is blind. You look like Fred, you sound like Fred, I don't know who you are. Maybe Fred had a twin, but no. He's like, I'm telling you, it's me. No. Yeah, it's me. Look, I got healed. I'm, I can see. And finally, he convinces them, hey, it's Fred. And so they're like, well, how did this happen? He says, well, this guy walks along. He puts some, rubs some mud in my eyes, tells me to go wash. I go wash. I come up and I can see. And they're like, where is he now? And I think that's a funny line for me. Where is he now? Because, you see, Fred's been blind his whole life. Fred doesn't know where anything is, Right? He, he doesn't know where a tree is. He doesn't know where a building is. He's never seen anything. So how in the world is he going to know where a stranger is? You know, he's somewhere. I don't know where he is. And, and I, just, I, I love the way that plays out. So they're like, we don't know what else to do. Let's take him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders, of course. And they're the ones who are such legalists, and they're trying to maintain all these ridiculous rules and all that. And so they drag him to the Pharisees. And when he describes what Jesus had done, they didn't celebrate in fact, they got confused because there was uh, sort of an underlying tension like, is it okay to spit in the dirt? Is it not okay to spit in the dirt? Eh, I don't know, but clearly he did all of this on the Sabbath and he healed on the Sabbath. So in our case, that would make him a sinner. But then there was another group that said, but how could a sinner bring sight to the blind? And so they're back and forth. And finally, the traditionalists went out and they go, we don't care what he did. He did it on the Sabbath. He violated the law. He's a sinner. And so they look at Fred. What do you say about him? Fred's no theologian. He doesn't, he doesn't know. He's like, I, I think he's a prophet. As, I mean, isn't this the kind of thing prophets would do? And they, the Jews switch track. They're like, this guy's lying. He was never blind. Call his parents in. So they call his parents in. Uh, verse 19, and questioning them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then, how does he now see? Now, this is a dicey situation because the Jewish leaders have already put out the word that anybody who becomes a disciple of Jesus is going to get kicked out of the synagogue. And it's not like it is now. You know, you can attend this church, you get kicked out of this church you go to another church, you know, you go to, but in those days, the whole world revolved around the synagogue. That's where you married. That's where you got buried. That's where you did life. That's where your friends were. Everybody in your village was Jewish. You get kicked out of the synagogue. You might as well have contracted leprosy. Life is over. And now the 
the powerful, scary religious guys are wondering about our grown son who's used to be blind, but now he's not. And so they say, he's of age, you ask him. So they're like, all right, drag the guy back in. So they drag him back in. So a second time, verse 24, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. In other words, they're stating their supposition. Our, our premise is he's a sinner. Now, give glory to God and agree with us or else. And I love this blind guy. He knows the situation. He knows these Pharisees are dangerous. He doesn't care. They're not going to ruin his day. This is a man who's been blind his entire life. Nothing is going to ruin this day. And, and I, I think it's beautiful what he said in verse 25. He then answered. And he doesn't try to pretend he's something he's not. Man, I don't know if he's a sinner. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know. Though I was blind, I can see, baby. You know, that's what you would do, wouldn't you? You, would, you wouldn't whisper that. You'd shout it. I don't know about Jesus. I don't know anything about whether he's a sinner. All I know is I'm sitting there like, like a, a turnip in a truck and, and can't do anything. And all of a sudden, I can do everything. So you, you guys ain't going to ruin my day. And this is the power of a personal experience. That's what we talk about all the time, that God has given you a story that has to be told because your story is what impacts lives, and nobody can deny that. And so they press him. They say, how did he do it? And the guy's like, I already told you how he did it. And then he gets funny. I think this is funny. He's like, I'm not, why are you guys asking all these questions? You don't want to be a disciple too, do you? I mean, he just sort of stuck it there a little bit. Not a lot, you know, just a, hey, why are you asking me all these questions? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Man, they flare. We are Moses' disciples. We don't even know where this guy comes from. In other words, they're admitting their own blindness. And it's so interesting in this beautiful way that God uh, uh, tells this story and establishes this story. The irony is so rich because here's a blind guy who now is aware of the blindness of his spiritual leaders, and he's the one that points it out. So he says, well, hmm, isn't that something? You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Hmm. Verse 32. Since the beginning of time, this is old Fred talking, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of anybody, of a person born blind. And then Fred brings the hammer down. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. The Pharisees lose their minds. I mean, the blood rushes, their ears grow red, hair stands up on the back of their head. And they answered him, verse 34, 
You were born entirely in sins, and you're teaching us. And look at that last phrase. So they put him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They did what they had threatened to do. And I read that and I thought, I wonder if he cared. Do you think he cared? You are out. He's like, well, that may be true, but I can see, you know. Did he really care about anything else after that? Would you care? Would you care? I can't think of caring. He could see. And he's starting to really see. And Jesus comes back to him. Jesus found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, tell me who he is and I'll believe. And Jesus said, he is the one talking with you. I think this is very interesting because if you read it, right, it's almost as if Jesus is still talking to a blind guy. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is. Jesus doesn't say, you're looking at him. He said, the one you're hearing. You see that? It's almost like he's still talking to a blind guy. I mean, the guy could see, but he still hadn't seen the light. And in that moment of revelation, he realizes who Jesus is. And watch what happens. Verse 38, and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see, who, who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. This isn't just about sight. It's about light. And what began as a gift of sight ended up as a gift of, of light. And the Pharisees saw all this, and they heard all this. Verse 40, those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we're not blind too, are we? Now watch this. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, that is, if you understood your blindness, if you really realized how dark you really are, you would have no sin. In other words, you would be at a point where you could be forgiven. But since you say we see, your sin remains. And as long as we live our lives in denial, as long as we pretend to be what we're not, as long as we say, I can see, but really in reality, we know we can't see. As long as we say we're in the light, when in fact we're in the darkness, we will remain in our sins. Just as they did. It's really a fascinating story when you look at it, isn't it? A man who couldn't see not only learned to see, but he saw the light. Those who could see remained in darkness. So what do we take from this? Well, I think the first obvious thing is Jesus gives light. I mean, the man was healed of blindness, and think how glorious that must have been for a blind man. I mean, what a gift that would be. You know, when I was younger, I have a cousin named Philip. He wasn't born blind, but something happened in an incubator, and uh, he was blinded as an infant in the hospital. And he was completely blind. And when I was younger, I was five years older than Philip. I think five years. I might have been two or three years older than Philip. Um, we played a lot. Philip and I would play. And I was an imaginative little boy. And so we had a, a back porch swing 
and Philip and I would sit on that swing and I would make up stuff and I would say we would be fighting the Red Baron and we'd be in our airplane or we'd be flying to the moon and and battling space pirates or whatever and Philip would just he had this vivid imagination he had this real heightened sense of hearing and his sense of touch was very specialized and so he compensated for his lack of sight with all these other things and and a very brilliant young man became a computer engineer I heard when he was in his 30s, he, he bought a Mustang GT. So he couldn't, he, they'd let him drive a little bit, like down the road, but not far, you know. And, and I've often wondered what it would have been like for my friend to, to have this experience to finally see and what it would be like for, I don't know, that overwhelming light to just explode on his life and that kaleidoscope of color and how, mind-blowing that would be. I mean, how would you even sort of develop depth perception and know, you know, what I'm really seeing? It would seem to me as if all of the color and all the images would suddenly strike you at once and maybe you'd want to shut your eyes because it might even make you feel a little nauseated and it would certainly take some time to adapt to that. But what would it be like? You know, and I have to believe, and maybe it's from my past experience, that this gift of sight had to be the greatest miracle Jesus did. I know, you know, you got Lazarus, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but you know, I don't know, did Lazarus really want to come back? I mean, or was that more for his sisters? I mean, if, if I'm in heaven, don't raise me from the dead. I mean, just stop. Even if you could, just don't do it. Because I'm, I'm going to be right where I want to be. But man, to have lived your life in darkness and suddenly be able to see he gave him the man's sight, but even more importantly, he gave him light. Because here's the problem with sight. Sight lasts for a lifetime, but light lasts forever. And when God fills your heart with light, that's a permanent gift of grace. And he offers it to everybody. He's offering it to you right now. If you haven't received the gift of of light, to know that Jesus is the light of the world and he can change your life forever. And why would you still walk in darkness? Second principle is don't let darkness crowd out the light. You know, darkness can't overcome light. Never, it's impossible. No matter how dark the room is, you turn a light on and the darkness is going to be driven out, right? But, but darkness can pull our attention from the light. And whenever God does a big thing in a person's life, Satan is always there to try to undermine it, to try to, I don't know, throw shade on the light, to try to make sure that you get distracted in some way so that you forget what, what really happened. And we see that here. This story was not about the Pharisees. It was about Jesus doing a glorious thing in a guy's life. And yet when you pick up the word and you preach this and you teach this, and I've done it before and it's sad that we do this, your focus gets so onto the argument that you forget the moment. And the Pharisees changed the narrative. You know, the headline should have been man born blind Glorious miracle. But the headline tends to read, Jesus made the Pharisees mad again. It's not about the Pharisees. They're wrong, pig-headed, legalistic, 
blind guides leading the blind, claiming to hold the light when they have a fistful of darkness. And don't let that happen to you. When God does a work in your life and reveals himself and brings light to your life, Never forget what he's done because invariably someone's going to criticize you. Someone's going to argue with you. Someone's going to question you. You know, when I got saved, the first thing all my friends said was, he'll be back. And then when I'd blow it and do something wrong, you know what everybody would say, is that the way a Christian should act? And I'm like, no, but I'm new at this. Give me a break. That's what grace is about. And I'm still new at it. Forty-something years later, I'm still, a, I'm still a learner. Please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. But man, they can, they can do that, and all of a sudden, the whole attention tends to shift, and they get more attention than they really deserve because they're making the noise. It's like uh, this guy I heard about, I've probably told this before, he had a pond full of frogs, man, every night. They're just keeping him awake at night. So he goes to the restaurant guy, and he says, hey, man, I got all the frogs you need to supply all the frog legs you want to cook. Guy's like, great, bring them. Week later, he shows up with two old scrawny little frogs. He's like, what are you doing, man? He said, I thought you said you had a pond full of frogs. He said, you'd be stunned at how much noise two scrawny frogs can make. And I think that happens in your life. Sometimes your pond sounds like it's full of frogs when it's just a couple of frogs making a lot of noise. And before long, we forget the miracle in our midst and make this about the croakings of a couple of frogs. And sadly, when you do that, you give more honor to the darkness than to the light. And you know what's really sad? Churches and Christians have a way of letting the darkness distract us from the light too. You know, when God does a work in the church, there's even Christians who jump in. You know, I heard this past week, that uh, church down in South Louisiana is calling North Monroe the crazy cult retreat church. Uh, years ago, they called us the business church. Then they said we were the soft on the gospel church. We don't preach the whole God. You know, and I look at what's going on and I see lives changed. I mean, we saw a grown man get baptized. There are churches... I know of that never see a grown adult get baptized. We see men getting saved, women getting saved. We see the hearts of the women going back to their husbands and the hearts of the fathers going back to their children. Men are coming down out of the deer stand to spend time with their kids and they're investing in their kids. And we're seeing healing and reconciliation and sin patterns shattered under the glory of Jesus Christ. And whenever you see that kind of power at work, get ready because Satan is going to do whatever he can to throw shade on the light. Don't let him do that. The Bible calls us walk in the light. And you know what's true? When you walk in the light, you have a lighter walk. So don't let all that darkness kind of come back in and crowd you out. When you walk in the light, you have a lighter walk. And then the third thing is, since I have the light, I have to be the light. Uh, Let me back up and show you something. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was that the work of God might be displayed in him. I mean, this guy hated his blindness, right? But here's the principle we have to get our heads around. Did it ever occur to you that the thing you hate the most about your life might well be the very thing God wants to use to display his works in you? Let me show you something else. John 9, verse 5. While I am in the world, what does Jesus say of himself? 
I am the light of the world. And I know he used that phrase, light of the world, at least three times. Back up in John chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And he used it one other time that I know about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Only this time he doesn't use the personal pronoun I. He uses the second person pronoun you. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peg measure or a bushel basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Then look at what he says in, in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light, your light, so shine before men that they will see your good works. Remember, he said, these are so the works of God can be demonstrated. But now he wants us to see your good works so that they will what? Glorify who? Not you, your Father who is in heaven. We're called to reflect His light. That's our calling. And that's true whether you're physically healed or not. You see, Jesus doesn't always heal us physically, but He always heals us spiritually. How many blind people do you figure were living in Israel in the time of Christ? I don't know. How many people does the Bible record that Jesus healed of their blindness? I did a search, best I could tell, eight. But then there's another verse, Luke 7, 21. At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So maybe it's more than eight. Many is a lot, but many is not all. He doesn't always give us sight, but he always gives us light. And even if you're not physically healed, we still glorify him. You see, the fact of the matter is, even when we're healed, one day the answer is going to be no. Because if you're always healed, you'll never die. And if you never die, you'll never go to heaven. So someday the answer is going to be no. But whether he heals me or not, my calling is to glorify him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You see, I believe God wants to do amazing things in you. He's the light. But I also think He wants to do amazing things through you. You're the light. And so let me ask you this question. Do you have the light? Are you sure that if you were to walk out of here right now, get hit by a bus, that you'd wake up in heaven? Do you know what it is to have your sins forgiven your past forgotten, and your eternity secured. Well, receive the light. But secondly, do you walk in the light? Is every day a celebration of His good? People who walk in the light have a lighter walk. Is your world characteristic of the same criticism and complaining that other people are doing about Jesus? Walk in the light, man. And do you shine that light? Does the light that Jesus has put in you, is it obvious to the people in your world? 
It's not just about sight. It's about light. See why I told you this is one of my favorite passages? Let's pray together. If you need the light of Christ, why don't you just open your heart to him right now and say, God, I receive Christ as my Savior. I receive his gift of grace in my heart. Change me in this moment. I confess my sin, the darkness that's in me. Father, drive it out and replace it with light. If you're walking in that light, if you've, if you've received the healing of light, but you've allowed the enemy to throw shade on your light, would you just say, God, help me to walk in the light. I'm not going to give the enemy more credit than he ever deserved. Father, I just, I want to walk in the light so that I have a lighter walk. And I'm not going to let someone else take the spotlight away from what Jesus has done in my life. And Father, I'm going to let the light of Jesus shine through me in every conversation, in every reaction. Help me to be the light of the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for the light. Thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for revealing to us your heart today. And may we go after your heart with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.